Thank you, Dale. Uh, apologize if I cough my brains out while I'm doing this. I got a some kind of cold going on here, but thank you for coming, everybody, tonight. Hope hope this is worth it for you. Uh, well, I hope your neck doesn't hurt. I heard you say that you don't want to look up too high at this screen, so go all the way to the back. Uh, all right, so I want to thank Dad. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, thank you, Mom and Dad, for uh, having me speak. Mom's Mom just landed down here, actually, so here in a moment. Um, I, I I have three texts. Uh, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy 23, 21, you can stay seated, and Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 and 5. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, and it says, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse number 21 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 and 5 says, When thou vowest a vow, Unto God defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. All right. I want to talk to you tonight about the Lord of the vows. The Lord of the vows. All right. Let's. So God values his word more than anything else. Obviously, we know it. He cannot lie. His word cannot return void. Oh, that his word, according to Psalms, is magnified above all his name. So we know that everything that we know about Jesus is because of the word of God. We know that his name is powerful because the word said it was powerful. We know that the blood saves because the word said it saves, and so on and so forth. The word is the supreme authority. You have a pastor that I think you already know by now puts the word of God in you more than any pastor probably does in the world. So I know that I'm talking to people that love the word of God. Everything you need is wrapped up in the word of God. If you think the Bible is boring, you don't want any promises. You don't want any favor. You don't want any blessings because everything you need is from the word of God. And if he says something, he intends to do it. That being said, I want you to ponder this question. I don't want you to answer it. I just want you to ponder this question. Is there anything that can make God break his word? Is there anything that can make God break his promise to me? First of all, I don't think that our past makes him break his promise. I think that if there's anything from your past that he uh, holds back, holds your future over your head because of something in your past. I think that God knew your past and knows your future, and that's why he's called you where he's called you. I don't think any of our dilemmas can stop his promise. I don't think that there's a, a need in our life or a handicap or a situation that we cannot fix that, set, that causes God to not be able to come through. I don't think that God has any barriers or any, any uh, holdups or any hangups or anything that causes him to come through. 
But I do think there is one thing that can make God break his word to us. That is, if we break our word to him. He values not just his own word, he values our words. And when we break a vow, as we read in our text, um, it something happens with God. And I want to talk to you about, first of all, what a vow is. The word vow in Hebrew is an offering. Anytime you offer God something, you're making a vow. Whether you say this is a vow or not, because we think the word vow means a promise, but the word actually means an offering in Hebrew. And so anytime I say, God, I give you all my heart, I'm making a vow to God. Anytime I say, God, I'm going to be at church every Wednesday night, I'm making a vow to God. Anytime I say I'm going to pay my tithes, I'm, I'm making a vow to God. Anytime I say anything to God that offers him anything, I am making a vow. Now, there are different types of vows. There's temporary vows. There's permanent vows. Uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes people would take a Nazarite vow. Uh, it was a temporary vow, a seasonal thing that they would do. And sometimes God made it a permanent thing, like with Samson before he was born. He said, this one's going to be his whole life. He's not going to cut his hair. He's not going to touch any dead thing. So it was a permanent vow to Samson. But others that took the Nazarite vow, it was temporary. So there's sometimes where the vow is a certain amount of length of time that you make to God. And there's other things where it's a lifelong commitment that you make to the Lord. Some things you make to God, I'm going to do this for 10 days, or I'm going to do this for two weeks. And then sometimes it's a, it's a lifelong thing. Let me show you, let me give you a quick little example of how much God pays attention to our vows. Genesis chapter 28, Jacob 19, he called the name of the place Bethel. In verse 20, he vowed a vow. And he tells God what the vow is, right? Three chapters later, in Genesis chapter 31, verse 13, God said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you vowed a vow unto me. Words, I didn't just hear what you said. I saw where you were when you said it. I knew exactly the place you were when you made the vow unto me. And so I don't just pay attention to what you say. I can tell you the spot on the road you were at. When you made the vow, I can tell you the spot on the mountain. I can tell you the spot on the altar. I can tell you where you were at, who you were with, who, what family members were near you, what situation caused you to do it. I know exactly where you were when you made that to me. And God said, when you make a vow, you need to pay it. And the word pay in the Hebrew means to make a covenant with peace. A covenant with peace. In other words, when you don't pay it, you break the peace covenant with God. You break the promise out of his hand. When I break a vow, I break off the peace talks with God. It's quiet. Here we go. We expect him to keep his word while we break ours. Like going to a job interview and the and the owner says, I'm going to give you $1,000 a week and, the, and you sign the papers and you say, thank you. And then you don't show up to work that week, but you still expect a paycheck. The promise was contingent upon your commitment. He's not going to give you the $1,000 if you don't show up to work and do what you're supposed to do. But that sometimes we treat God like keep your promises, even though I'm not keeping mine. What do you mean? 
Let me give you an example. Have you ever repented of something then did it again after you repented? Bible says that when you repent, that there should be works meet for repentance, which means there's evidence after you've repented that you've repented. There's actions after you pray that prove that you repented. Otherwise, you just apologized. Otherwise, I just struggled through something and I called it repentance. But God considered that a vow. He said, you, you told me you were turning around from this. You, you told me you were walking a different direction. But because you, you did it, you just broke off the peace between me and you, and you're wanting me to come through and answer the prayer that I'm holding over your head and, and not bringing it to pass in your life while you do everything to break that connection between me and you because you don't see it as a big deal. In other words, you say, God, you promised, and God's saying, yeah, so did you. In other words, we need to work on what we said and not what God said. We can hold the promises of God over his head our entire life, but are we letting God hold our words over his head? Are we letting are we letting God remind us of the things we told him that we would do that we're not doing? When you you uh, got married, if you are married, you made a vow and you made you made several vows. And usually we tend to focus on the spouse's vows when we are trying to prove our point in an argument. We bring up the you you made a vow. You said you would obey. You, you, you said you would honor. You said you would do this. And we bring up because we're focusing on what they're supposed to do rather than what we're supposed to do. And when we make a vow, God takes it more seriously than we do. God takes that conversation more seriously than we ever do. In fact, we think we're serious, but our actions prove usually that maybe we weren't as serious as we thought. You have the most disciplined person possible as your pastor. I've never met someone who made vows and kept them the way my dad does. It's amazing to see what he does. It's like Paul in Acts, the Bible said that Paul shaved his head because he had a vow. We don't even know what the vow was about. We don't even know why he did it. We just know he had a vow. We don't even know what the what it was for. We don't understand, but we know that he shaved his head because he made a vow to God. Now, let me show you what the Bible said. This I'm going I'm to be very transparent with you tonight, very I'm going to tell you a story that's going on in my life, and I want you to, uh, and you can judge me if you want, it's fine, but I, I, I want you to understand why, why I'm telling you this tonight. Uh, Ecclesiastes said that when you make a vow to God, defer not to pay it. The word defer, defer means delay. Don't, don't delay. Don't hesitate to pay it. So when you make a vow, get started on it because it's very serious to God. So uh, we are in our church. We have had a, uh, uh, a prophecy very recently in the last two months about a building that, that we're going to have services in soon in Jesus name. And it's been very specific and, and so much so that we, we met the Bishop of that church. We talked to him about a month and a half ago, and, uh, we are believing God to, to, to get us out of the theater and get us into this building. Okay. It's been prophesied. So every day I've been praying about it. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, I made a vow to the Lord that I was going to do something in 2024. And I said that by the end of 2024, Lord, this is going to be done. I made this vow to the Lord. And um, and then I knew that when I made the vow, that I could get it done before the end of 2024. And so I upped the date and I said, Lord, it's going to be done by May 1st. This is going to be done by May 1st. I did this probably two, three weeks ago. 
And so I thought to myself, if I start March 1st, what I'm planning to do by May 1st, this vow will be complete. And so yesterday I'm praying at the house and I'm early in the morning, I'm walking around and I'm praying about this building and I'm praying about, you know, God, you know, bringing it to pass and, and thanking him for it. And he randomly whispers a, a verse to my mind. And that verse was, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, the name of this church that we're trying to get into is called Kingdom Life Church. And it just jumped out. I wasn't even reading my Bible. I was just praying. And it just, it was so strong. It's my good pleasure to give this to you. It was so strong that I couldn't even, I couldn't even request. I just started thanking him. I, I, I just laughed. I, I, it's a done deal. I know you're going to come through. And, and I just rejoiced. And so that was yesterday morning. This morning, God set me up. This morning, I'm praying. And I brought up the vow to God. Before I did, I said, Lord, I thank you that you promised me yesterday that, that you're going to give us that, uh, you're going to get us into that building. I thank you that you're not a man that you should lie. I thank you that you're going to answer these prayers, that you're going to keep your word. And the Lord spoke to me that verse in Ecclesiastes and said, I don't find pleasure when you don't keep your word. He said, I told you that yesterday, that's my pleasure to give it to you, but you're going to disconnect me from pleasure by not doing what you said you'd do. And so I just backed down real quick. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to ask anything. I'm just going to apologize. And, and repentance, you know, please forgive me. And and he said, you're supposed to start on it now. And wouldn't you know today when I started on it, as I was starting on it, the bishop of that church reached out to me randomly and said, can we, can we meet tomorrow about this? Now, I know that God, God's been promising this for several weeks to us. But I have been in the way while I'm praying for him to keep his word by delaying my promise to him. And he said, I was just waiting on you to, to come to the table. You, you, you want this and you want me to do this and I'm going to do it. It's my pleasure. But I can't even bless a liar. You, you, all liars have their part in the lake of fire. And when you don't fulfill your word to me or you delay it, I consider you lying. And therefore, you hold me back from what I'm trying to do for you because you don't focus on what you're supposed to do. You're consumed with what I'm supposed to do for you. It's better that you never would have even vowed it than to vow it and not pay it. It's, it be careful what you pray for. God assumes I'm lying if I don't attempt to pay the vow. And if I'm lying in God's eyes, all talks are off. Hmm. All negotiations are off. All blessings are off until I fix what's supposed to be fixed on my end. And you can blame God your whole life why he hasn't answered the prayer. But is it because there's something you have not fulfilled on your end that you promised? Hannah didn't have a baby, so she put a vow on it. So I'll give him back to you. And God said, I think you're good for that vow. God knew Hannah. He didn't, have to, he didn't wait for her. He said, oh, I'm going to give her the baby now because God knew Hannah would pay 
the vow. Nothing says you're serious to God like a vow. Nothing says you're committed like a vow. Nothing says this is important to me like a vow. And God said, she's good for it. Give her the baby. And when she gets that baby, she'll bring it back to me and I'm going to give her more babies because I know she'll pay the vow. She will stay in a covenant of peace with me by paying the vow and she will constantly have peace with that's why he said in his word i know the thoughts that i think towards you the thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end but we block those thoughts of peace coming to us by our actions repentance is a vow David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David fulfilled that vow. David constantly praised God and God constantly blessed David. Why? Because he didn't just say the right thing. He followed through and lived the right thing and blessed God with his mouth. God knew she was good for it. I want to ask you and I want to ask myself because I'm, I mean, I mean, I got beat up. So I'm, I'm just giving you what I got beat up with. Hope you don't like but can God trust us with our words that we pray? Are we just emotional in the moment? Are we really sincere? Do our actions back up our prayers? Do we really, really, really want God to do what we're requesting? Or are we just sitting there putting everything on God? He's on the hook for the miracle. I've done everything I can do. I have lived the life. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Is it because... You didn't follow through and get on the altar like you said you would. Is it because you're not living at a level that you've told God you would? Did you promise God to be holy and you're still not doing it? Did you promise God when he got you out of your crisis that you would give everything and be faithful to him? And But now you skip all the time now that things are calm and good. And you're wondering why your God's not answering the prayer. It's because you're a crisis Christian who only gives God praise when you're in trouble and gets God involved. But the second everything's calm, you go back to backsliding. Let me ask you something. If you made a commitment to God to get closer to him, God is holy. And if you're not growing in holiness, you can get mad at God all you want and mad at me all you want. You're not keeping your word. You need to keep your word if you want God to keep his word and give you the thing you're asking so much for. Stop looking at what God's supposed to do and look at the mirror. What am I supposed to do to get God's attention? Okay, let me give, this is just a little something I give our church. Let me give you seven ways to fulfill your vow. Seven little things to just chew on. Dad, if I'm wrong, you correct me because you, you know more about this than me. But this is the stuff that came to me. Number one, pray your vow every morning. Pray, about, pray the vow. Speak it out loud. Pray the vow every morning. The reason why God busted me on this today because I've been praying about this every morning. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he said, here's the problem. You're praying it and you need to do it. <laughs> so it was very, very clear. And I'm, you know, I got bruised today. <laughs> Number two, strategize how to accomplish this vow. Don't just dream, plan. It's like trying to build a church. Oh, we're going to have revival. God's going to send it. How's he going to send it? You get a plan. Don't just dream it. Have a plan. Plan how your vow is going to work. Number three, prioritize it. Move it up your list. Do things, do things in the day that are related to the vow. 
bring your vow into your daily life. Bring it into, bring it into your actions. This is a tough one, number four, because not everyone needs to do this. I've watched my dad do it without this, but some of you need to do this right here. Number four, be accountable about your vow. Talk to someone about it. You know why Samson got in trouble with his vow? He hid it from everybody. Not even his own people knew about the vow. If, the, if his own people knew, the Philistines never would have hired Delilah. They would have gone to all the people and threatened them like they did. And they said, Get, tell us the secret. But no one knew it because he hid it. And it's easy not to be accountable if no one knows. But if everyone knows, you have to live it. If everyone knows, you have to live it. We had a girl on our call. I just got off the call tonight with our with our with a group called Chosen, which is our new converts and new people in our church. And we do a weekly call where we kind of it's kind of like this time to grow. And and I got done. I just taught this tonight to them. And this young lady in our church was on fire. She was delivered from witchcraft, from being a lesbian, all kind of stuff. And and she, when I got done telling, she said, Pastor, I have a drug problem. She said, I cannot get off of weed. What do I need help? She said, I keep repenting and I keep doing it. And in front of 40 people on the call, she just said, can you please help me? I want to be accountable. And, she, and she, in front of everybody, she vowed to throw her stuff away, delete the contacts of the drug dealer. There's one of the guys in our church owns a, um, a drug rehab facility he just started. She, he, he got on the call and said, Sister Bonnie, we're, I'm going to give you a room for free. At our rehab clinic, we're going to get you off of this. Someone else, several ladies got her number. And in, in five minutes time, I watched a lady who was just hiding out.
Testing, testing, testing. Test, 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 test. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Come on. That's probably better. I have a face for radio. Can you hear me? All right. All right. So number five, fear the consequences, which basically means that when you um, you don't have a fear of God, you'll let yourself do anything you want to do and don't really think you'll be judged. And so if you don't if you if you don't have a fear of God, start praying for one uh, because you don't want to meet <laughs> the judge uh, that, uh, you know, that can do that stuff. I had, I had someone today that left our church recently send out a massive letter saying that it's a pagan doctrine to anyone to be submitted to a pastor. I'm I'm submitted to God and and no pastor will tell me what to do and and I will do it. And, and the first thing I saw when I read it was get out of the way because the Holy Ghost is going to judge that. You know, so no fear of God. You want to be able to fear the Lord with your life. You you know, if you don't don't if you fear everything but God, that's that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fearing God above all things. All right, number six. That's exactly right. You're pray. You just pray. Number six, have an exit plan for your temptation. Have a plan for when you're tempted. If you're just going to try to be strong in the moment, you're going to fail. You, we, we, we would all fail in the, just trying to be strong in the moment. You have to plan to be strong. You have to plan the exit. If you decide to fast tonight and you're going to fast one day, they're going to bring donuts tomorrow morning to your job. Okay? They're going to do it just because they heard you say you're fasting. So just plan what you're going to do. Plan what you're going to drink. Uh, have, an, have a plan for temptation. Don't try to be strong in the moment because your flesh is, you don't, don't trust your flesh. Don't trust your heart. It, it messed you up. Have a plan before the temptation. 
Seven. This is the big one. Already, I'll hurry. Guard the vow with your life. Yeah. The best analogy I can find is when they threatened Daniel with the lion's den because he prayed. They said, if you don't pray, you can live. And he said, I'd rather die praying than live not praying. I'd rather keep my prayer life than my actual life. And he considered that more valuable. He guarded his prayer life, even to the point of going into a lion's den for it. What kind of what kind of stuff would you guard? Uh, what, what would you be willing to face for your prayer life? You know, what does it take for the devil to get you to not pray one day? What does it take for the devil to get you to skip your Bible reading tomorrow? You got to guard it with your life. Non-negotiable. It's it, it's it's not. Well, I'll just try to get to my reading when I can. You're you're if you if that's you, you need your toast. <laughs> you're you're they're gonna they're gonna get you. You'll backslide. Fort's over. You. You need to have some things that are non-negotiable that you guard with your life. And that is one of them, the reading of the Bible daily, the praying daily. It should be. So seven ways to fulfill your vow. Pray it every morning. Strategize how to accomplish it. Prioritize it. Tell people about it. Fear the consequences. Have an exit plan for temptation and guard it with your life. This is how the Lord views your prayer life. This should go to it. This should take you to another level in prayer. It should take you to a more seriousness in your prayer meeting. And it may, it should make you uh, check yourself when you're about to say something because God's listening and he's more serious about it than I am. I'll say this. I may have said this before. I don't know. Uh, but I think the, the most powerful prayer life is a sincere one. I think the most powerful prayer is a sincere prayer. I, I, I know about the patterns, the tabernacle, the, the, prayer, the armor of God. But I think the most powerful prayer you can give is, is sincere. Now, here's what I mean by that. The word sincere in the Greek means to be unfolded and examined by the light of the sun, which means this. When something is sincere, God examines it all day long to see if it was. It's not what you pray, it's what you do after you pray that determines if you were sincere or not. So you can get to the Lord and say, oh, God, nothing's more important to me today than hearing your voice. Nothing's more important than hearing your voice. And then you get on social media for four hours. You just, you just told God that I was not sincere. I was emotional. So sincerity is backing up the prayer after it's over. Repentance is taking action after the prayer, doing something. And so God's, God's taking it seriously with me. And and I hope that God's I hope that you know God's taking it seriously with you. He is the Lord of the vows. And when you understand that He 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 is watching everything we say, there's a reverence that comes to our prayer life that maybe wasn't there before. And we understand that it's not Him holding me back, it's me holding me back. What do I do to get out of the way so God can bless my life and bless my family? I want God to be at peace with me, not at war with me. I don't want to be. I don't want God trying to get my attention. I want God to be at the table with me, because I'm His will. I'm listening to His voice. I'm not running the wrong way. I'm staying faithful to what He told me to stay faithful to. Questions, comments, concerns, criticisms.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Exactly right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Nicely. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a yes man, you know, that will never check you. You know, I told our, I talked to our group a few weeks ago about the three levels of accountability. And the, the first one is, is uh, comfortable where you only give certain details and you're in complete control of the relationship. Well, I struggle, I struggle with something, pray for me. I'll, I'll be accountable to you. And you, and you don't, you don't, you're not specific with it. And, and then, and then you never, you never check in when you struggle because the last person you want to check in with when you're struggling is the person you're supposed to be accountable to. That's called comfortable accountability. Second one, but you're still in control of the relationship. They know what the issue is. And you, it's just convenient. You can tell them, to, they ask you how you do. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You can lie. But the real level of accountability you should strive for is uncomfortable accountability. Where, where they, they're in control. They can check you. And this is going to get real quiet. But if your spouse can't look at your phone, what are you hiding? Being honest, like if, if you if you're just being honest, nine times out of ten pastoring, if if I see a spouse because you have an accountability to where you're in control, but accountability brings deliverance is where you're not in control, where you, where you could get checked at any moment, where you, where you could get the question, what are you doing at any second, and and you have to be truthful because there's proof, you know, give somebody else your password. If you want real deliverance, let's go, you know, get get. It, real deliverance gets in your purse. <laughs> it gets on your phone. It, it gets in your head. And, and so there's 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 levels of accountability we could go into to where it's like, oh, I'm accountable. This is my accountability, like dad said. But if you go tell dad about it, <laughs> uh, you're not doing that because you know he's gonna bust you, and that's why you're holding it back. But if you if you really wanted freedom, you don't care what the what it looks like, this is the issue, like that goes on our call. She was, she, she looked like she humiliated herself, but she was, she didn't care because I'd rather be delivered than act like I'm fine. There's too many people that want to put on that image, that mask, that I'm okay. And you know, you're not okay. You know, you're struggling with something you're, and you're faking it every, but, but you're not faking God out. If you really want deliverance, be accountable, you know, and I don't think that dad, those two pastors, whoever they were, I mean, maybe I don't think that they knew the level of commitment that was inside of you. You know, they, they didn't know that when you commit, you're in until you die. And, you know, there's, there's that, there's that thing that's got to get inside of us that I'll die doing this. This is, this has to happen. You know, nothing else matters. Uh, and, and I really think that, that some people, you know, may not need that you know, that accountability. I'll tell you this, the more likely 
Uh, I should, well, if you're really walking with God, I can see that you don't need an accountability partner. But most people that need an accountability partner is because they're not walking with God at the level they could, and therefore they're trying. They need to. They need to get somebody in on their prayer life that helps them with. You know, hey, did you do? Did you slip up today? You know, did you? Do, are you using that money for drugs? Are you? Are you drinking? Are you? Are you? Are you vaping? What are you doing? You said you weren't. You you said you weren't going to game all night. You gaming all night because you're not worshiping in church. I noticed that you don't feel God. Are you, are you not doing like? I know you don't want to hear that, but do you want deliverance? Do you want? Do you want to get free? You know, make make the vow and then get accountable about it. And one one year from now, one month from now, who could you be if you made a vow and you were accountable? What kind of change could you make in your life? What kind of change could I make if I was accountable to God and to my pastor, my pastor's wife, whoever the, you know, and I think that you should go straight to pastor and sister Herring with who you should be accountable to. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that weak man you just gave me, but I'm just telling you that, that some of you have your little friends that you're going to go to your clique. Who they, they need, your click needs to pray through. You, you, you should find some, you should, hey, pastor, who do you recommend? You want to learn, let, let him choose, let him choose your accountability. Oh, that's going to get real quiet. Let him choose your accountability partner for you. Man, I'm okay. I, you know, I was just struggling. I feel, I feel I'm, I'm better. I just need to release that. Yeah, I bet. Uh -huh. Yeah. All right. I love yeah. 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 Your little finger is thicker than your dad's loins. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Not everybody's happy back there. I can tell. It's all right. I'll pray for you. No, I know. Sure did. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You gotta have someone that can gut check you. You gotta have someone that can that can that knows what you're doing in every area of your life. Stuff. Too many Pentecostals are living, you know, partially delivered. They, 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 they. This over here, they're they're doing good, but this over here, they give to God, and they're holding back an area of their life from God where He. He cannot work in their life, and they refuse to let him in. And you, you need to let God into the area of your life that you don't want to let him in on. You need to let the Lord talk to you about the thing that you refuse to listen to anybody else about. You need to let God get in that subject matter that that you know you're holding back. You're holding back from Him on. I don't know what it is, but you do, and and I know what it is for me, and you know what it is for you. And and it's time to it's time to make a commitment to to be better than that. Haven't seen enough judgment. And a night the fire fell dead. Great fear fell on the whole church. They fell dead. And if, if every, you know, by the stone, can you say, if some of them would fall dead, boy, everybody would be in the altar. You know, uh, but like, 
just, you know, but it, it, the truth is we haven't seen the, because the judgment, the wheels of judgment move slowly. God's so merciful. So, so that's the dispensation of the law. Everything was wrong. Everything was a sin. You got hammered if you did anything. You you could even work on Sunday. You died. And, and New Testament in art is the dispensation of grace. Everything's getting forgiven. But there is another dispensation coming called Judgment Day. He goes from, from the grace giver to the judge. You know, like the kid in Arkansas that was drowning in the river and the man on the kayak pulled him out, did CPR, saved him. Ten years later, the kid gets busted for drugs. He goes to his court date to get sentenced to prison. And the judge behind the seat is the guy that saved him in the river. And he said, oh, the kid said, oh, I'm good because I know this guy. And the judge sentenced him to prison. And the kid said, wait, don't you remember me? I'm the kid you saved in the river. And he said, that day I was your savior. Today I'm your judge. That's fear in God. You have to just know that it's coming, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm delaying myself. If he's if he's waiting long, let's see if it's not him. It's the problem. Let's see if it might be us. Right. Bonnie Contreras. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, when she started her question tonight, she said, I've repented over and over and then I turn around and fail. Is it better that I just tell God I'm, I'll try to do my best? And, and I said, the only thing I have with that is this. Sometimes we can get into this. I'm trying to do my best. I'm not going to make the commitment because I really don't want to get rid of the sin or the issue. If I just say I'm doing, I'll do my best, God, that gives me an out every time I fail. But I think that it's all in the it's all in the sincerity of how desperate you want to be free from it. 
Like if, if nothing else matters, I'll make the commitment. You don't have to say the word vow, but God, I'm not going to do this, you know, but it's, it's, it's kind of like if, if someone's really wanting me to be delivered, I can tell pretty quick if they really want to be delivered. And I can tell if they're looking for sympathy or they're just, you know, they're emotional in the moment and they're going right back to the stuff as soon as they get out of church. It's, it's, they feel they, they break, but, but they keep break. And it's just, it's like the same people every, every Sunday. They cry the same way. They break the same way. And it's, it's, it's their stronghold. It's their addiction. It's their weakness. And they're bringing it back to the altar. And oh, God. And they don't want to make that vow because honestly, there's something about them that, Either A, doesn't want to, to live at that level of commitment, or B, they don't trust themselves to get there to that level. They don't think they can live it. But the truth is, I think God wants us to try to get there because it's too easy to say, well, I, I just can't do it. And the truth is, you don't want to do it. If you really want to do it, I think you will do whatever you got to do to get to that next level in the Lord. But I, I do think that's real that people have broken one after that call tonight on the call. Someone asked me, pastor, he said, there's 25 years where I backslid. He said, I made vows to God that I've forgotten. He said, I know I didn't fulfill them. Not only did I fulfill them, I forgot what they were. He said, what, what do I do? And I said, well, first of all, you cannot fulfill them. You don't remember what they are. It's impossible. So you just need to re renew your vow to the Lord and repent and say, I I'm sorry for every vow. I didn't, I didn't keep. Oh, please forgive me. And if, if do you want me to make a vow, God? Do you want me to commit something? Because I, I'm willing to do it. I, I'm that desperate to change. The desperation changes everything. It's it's just change. Desperation level, you know. I know we're just a we're just a, a rookie church, but when you don't have a building, there's a desperation on a whole church that that most churches that are comfortable never never know. There's just like we if we don't. This thing could dissolve. We're on sand. We need God to do something. You know, when they're there, when you, when no one can save your baby but God, when, when no one can save your marriage but God, when no one can intervene but God, there's something that gets on a husband or a wife that says, I'm not letting go till you do something, God. I have got to get a miracle. There's a desperation factor that changes the prayer. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Like that girl tonight, when she said that, I mean, she went from hiding it to having a rehab facility available to her, having a whole several ladies getting her phone number, calling her. She's getting rid of all of her stuff. I mean, just God came through in a way um, in front of everybody, uh, you know, to let her know I, I'm ser you're serious. I'm serious. Draw, draw nigh to me, I draw nigh to you. You you reach for me, I reach for you. That's how it's going to work. You, I will never ignore you if you reach to me. I, I want you. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. We can't do that. We can't answer every call, every text. But God says, you reach, I reach. That's a vow from God to you. too oh he will oh yeah not very gracefully either 
Thank you. Oh, like you like I've told the Lord fast on Wednesdays, you know, and then it'd be a Wednesday I'll be getting ready to eat. He's like, you said you were gonna fast Wednesdays. So, huh. On our way to eat, really? Like I said that years ago. I mean, really? Mustard. Uh -huh. Yeah, truth. Yeah. Of all you. They're, they're here. So. Let you know, Dad, tomorrow what happens with that with that pastor, that bishop. So love you, love you guys. Love you, Brother Poel, Anthony, Brother Lance. Oh, I can see it. Stace. I love you guys. The rest of them I can bear. Darren, love you.